Sabbath became not a day of burden, not a day of when is this day over. It was a day of of a, a constant reminder that that Pharaoh that used to lord over my life, you know, my anger, my addiction, pornography, whatever it was, had no longer control over me, that I belonged to somebody else, and that God did for me. The text says, with my strong hand, I delivered you. God did for me what I could not do for myself. I have been trying for years to get rid of stuff, and it never happened. It was by the grace of God that it happened. Because every Sabbath now, it's 24 hours of an intense reminder of how it used to be and now what it is. Not too long ago, my family and I had the privilege to visit the Statue of Liberty as part of our New York vacation. And while I thoroughly enjoyed our whole experience in New York, I was most surprised by how convicted I became by the mere concept of freedom itself while touring this iconic American landmark. You see, at almost 40 years of age, it was my first time seeing it in person. The symbolism in the statue is unmistakable. She holds a torch above her head, and in her left arm carries a tablet inscribed in Roman numerals with July 4, 1776, the date of our Declaration of Independence. A broken chain lies at her feet. She represents the purpose and destiny of the United States of America to be a land of freedom for the oppressed and a beacon of light shining freedom around the world, freedom of conscience freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom to dream big. Despite all of her flaws, the United States of America is still the freest, most successful, most influential nation that has ever existed in the history of the world. Now, in order to get to Liberty Island, where the statue is located, we had to take a ferry whose first stop was on Ellis Island. Ellis Island was the gateway to United States citizenship for over 12 million immigrants looking for freedom and an opportunity in the land of liberty at the turn of the 20th century, soon after the statue had been built. My great-grandparents were among those 12 million. And so as I was there, I was trying to imagine what it must have felt like for them after their long voyage from Scandinavia across the Atlantic Ocean to enter the New York Harbor and see the Statue of Liberty for the first time. For them, it wasn't a vacation tour stop. It was the gateway to freedom. Could there be another gateway to freedom that many of us have taken for granted? Not a colossal standing tall in the New York Harbor, but rather a day inconspicuously waiting for us at the end of our weekly calendar. Could the seventh-day Sabbath in fact symbolize greater freedom than a nation can provide for its citizens? More than a day of rest, could the seventh day also be a promise of freedom for the soul? In this episode, I had the privilege to explore these questions and more with veteran evangelist and church planner Roger Hernandez, who currently serves as the Ministerial and Evangelism Director for the Southern Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists and is the author of 14 books, including his most recent one entitled The Pain of Planting a Church. In this episode, Roger also shares some leadership nuggets and some of his own stories starting out as a young pastor. I hope you are enriched by our discussion as much as I was. I started by asking him what he's looking forward to in the coming year. Well, I think one of the first things that I'm looking forward in 2020 is to... Uh, have a little bit more balance in my life because 2019 was a year that we were pedal to the metal. Um, it's a year, uh, a year of sharing. Uh, so we did a lot of events. We were on the road a lot. So I'm, I'm looking on 2020 for, uh, for, a, I can get, I get to sleep in my bed more often, uh, than, <laughs> than I did in 2020. So right, that, that, that right off the bat, it's something I'm looking forward to. Um, but also, um, just wrote a book, a book called, uh, the pain of church planting, which is a book going to help, uh, church planters, uh, and basically anybody in ministry as they understand that there is a, 
aside to leading other people that might be painful and how to prepare for that. Yeah. Tell me about that. You know, when, when did you start developing a love for, for evangelism and, and church planning? Obviously you can't plan a church if you're not doing evangelism. So, um, you know, is this something that you've, um, had a desire or been involved with, uh, since you were young, or is this something that happened as, as, as you got older in life? Share, share a little bit about your own journey in, um, evangelism and, and church planting, um, with our listeners. Well, I've always wanted to be a a pastor. I, I've always known I was going to be a pastor, even though there was a detour uh, from the age of 17 to 22, where I didn't make the right uh, choices in my life and kind of kind of strayed away from from my purpose and God's plan for me. Um, but even when I wasn't even going to church, I always knew I was going to be a pastor. I remember one time I was sitting in a club. Um, on a Saturday night, having drinks with some lady. And one of them, I've never met her before, she said, so what do you want to do? And I said, I'm going to be a pastor. And she looked at me <laughs> and said, what? <laughs> uh, because the place that we were at was not <laughs> probably the best place um, that a pastor would be in. The stuff that we were consuming would not be found in uh, pastors, uh, um, you know, cupboards. So I've, I've always known. Uh, and and when I when I became a pastor, my first church I had, I was an associate pastor, which means I had somebody who was over me uh, that I was supposed to learn from. And he said the best way for you to learn how to pastor a church is to plant one. So we had a large congregation, and he said, here's here's 100 people. We had about 500 in our congregation. He said, here's 100 people. You go ahead and plant the church, and you'll be the pastor. You'll be, you'll be the leader. So I was the appointed leader, but I wasn't the actual leader because we had a lay leader who, was, who had the connection with the people. I was just the newcomer. And that dynamic was my first introduction to leadership. Because I was the appointed leader, but the real leader did not have my position. And does that make sense? You know, mm-hmm. so it, <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm trying to lead people, but when I ask a question in the board meeting, you know, the directors meeting uh, in the boardroom, there uh, they would look at him, and I'm like, well, I'm I'm asking the question. Why did everybody look at him? I, I found that to be an interesting dynamic. So how to relate to that? I, I presented a plan, and he looked at me and said, "Listen, we're not doing any of that." Wow! And I was like, "But don't you know? Don't you know I'm the leader?" And he was like, "Yeah, you know, you're the leader, but uh, we're gonna go with this other plan." So that that was my first introduction. So I I understood that even though I had studied Greek and Hebrew and um, New Testament theology and all these things, I was ill-equipped to lead uh, in to lead people. Uh, I was a good theologian, but not a good leader. That became my search. Uh, I started reading, going to John Maxwell's conferences, reading books, immersing myself in that field because I said, if I'm going to be successful at this. I need to be able to understand where people are coming from and what it takes to lead people without being detached from them or be a dictator. Um, so that that's how I got to to plant the church during that dynamic. You know, fast forward twenty seven years, and now I'm writing a book that I wish I had when I was start, first started. Yeah, totally, and and that that is you know the the joys and pains of ministry. And, and I think, you know, when you, when you look back on your life too, you've done a lot of evangelism outside of church planning, correct? Yeah. My first, uh, when we first planted the church, 
we inaugurated the church with an evangelistic event. It mm-hmm. was an evangelistic series. That, that happened the week that we started the church. So that was sort of like, it, it was my co-introduction to both of them. Oh, wow. And they've been, mar- they've been married in my mind forever. Um, I believe church is not for us, by us, and about us. Um, church, when it's functioning well, is intentional about creating um, moments, spaces, uh, programs, whatever you want to think about, uh, opportunities, so more people can find out about this awesome thing called Christianity that is based on Christ. And and to, to be able to introduce people um, to a better life, um, I mean, do I have good news for you? I mean, this is there is a better way to live. And that's what evangelism is. It's just sharing good news uh, with people that need to hear good news. Not just good advice, but good news. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think it's so important, you know, I, I think when you when you look at your church plant, um, you know, the, the idea then is, hey, the, it's not just going to be the pastor. You know, everybody in a church plant feels kind of responsible for, for what needs to get done. And, um, and so, yeah, there's, there's, I'm sure there, you, you have a lot of war stories and, and you're probably carrying around scars to this day from that time in some of those early battles. But, um, you know, I'm sure you can also look back and see how that, um, you know, that, that dynamic of, um, putting that, um, expectation that, Hey, if we don't all work together, this thing's not going to work. Um, you know, probably help propel that group as well, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I when uh, church plant happens, commitment level goes up, uh, attendance goes up, uh, financial commitment goes up, uh, commitment in all forms goes up uh, because, especially if you're coming from a church with a mid size to a large church, there's, there are other people that will do what needs to be done if you don't do it. Um, but I remember a young adult that came into one of the church plants that we had in Oregon when, when I was over there that said, I'm the Sabbath school teacher. I teach kids in this church plant. If I don't show up, the class does not happen. So it's this sense of responsibility that is increased with a church plant. Church planting is the best, most awesome thing that you can experience in a life because it depends on God. Wow. You have no idea how many people are going to show up. You have no idea if it's going to survive or not. Uh, There is nothing guaranteed. Um, So you think about location. It's very hard to start a church plant that on day one, you have a building and you have ministries running and you have the staffing for it and you have the volunteers for it and you know pretty much how the budget's going to look. You have no idea of most of that. You have a general sense of how many people, well, you know, your core group and how many people are going to help out. But there's a lot of gaps. And it's wonderful to see how people step up and just see God at work. It's a miracle um, endeavor. It's just miraculous. It, you need the supernatural to plant the church. This doesn't happen with, uh, with just a lot of good planning. We got to step in at some point. Yeah, and I think that's something that people are looking for. I mean, a lot of times I think maybe one of the complaints about church that you hear is that, well, I just go there and sit and listen and um and you know i could do that at home i could do that in my car so so what you're saying is that hey if you really want to step up you know if if somebody's listening to this and they're feeling kind of stale in their in their walk with god or or maybe they're questioning christianity because they see other christians that they've known and they just it it doesn't seem to uh, um 
make that much impact in their lives. What, what you're saying, if I'm if I understand you correctly, is that you know the best way to to get to know God and to grow is to to get active. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, activity uh, fuels commitment, and commitment fuels activity. Uh, I think it's it's much easier to have strong opinions about church life when you're sitting on the sidelines. It, mm. It's when you start getting into into the actual ministries and you see how it operates from the inside out um, that, you know, all those strong opinions sometimes is like, oh man, I didn't know it was like this. I didn't know um, what level of, of commitment and preparation uh, for the stuff that happens in church. And sometimes when we're sitting on the sidelines, it'd be easier just to criticize something because it wasn't perfect. But when you're doing it, it's a whole different bargain. It's like when you're listening. um, I have kids, right? So I I used to go to their school programs. And they they were terrible, the school programs. (laughs) Like, I couldn't wait to get out. Um, But when my kids were there, uh, it just took a different sense because I I was invested in it. All right, so when it, when it when it, it became a year that was my turn to clean up and to decorate, it took a different sense. Right, it, it, it had a different meaning to me because I was involved in the preparation of it. Right, um, and and in 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 a normal congregation, twenty percent of people do eighty percent of the work, and twenty percent of the people give eighty percent of the funds. So basically we have uh, 20% of the people really involved and then 80 just sort of like involved and looking at it saying, why aren't you guys that are involved in doing everything, doing more? And so I would encourage anybody that's listening, one of the greatest gifts you can give your pastor is to say, hey, how can I help? First of all, after they wake up from the, from the head hitting the floor as they fainted when you told them that, they will say, oh, we can always use more volunteers. That will encourage you not just to attend church, but to get involved in it and to be the church, not just go to one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when, you, when you're involved in, in evangelism, when you're involved in sharing your faith, um, ultimately, you know, people start asking you questions. And, and so... Um, you know, you're you're a veteran at presenting the message um, to people maybe who haven't heard it for the first time, um, and and so in in your experience, um, you know what what is you know some of the the biggest challenges um, and hurdles that um, that people are facing when you know they're hearing. Um, for instance, a message about the Sabbath or a message about Jesus soon coming. You know, we, we talk about that a lot here on this podcast. And, and, uh, and, and even if somebody can accept the biblical um, theological concept, you know, they, they agree with that. Um, that's not the end, is it? So what are some of the challenges that you've seen um, that, that people face when, when they encounter um, this message? Um, the, I, w- I would put it like this. Uh, 95% of challenges and hurdles have less to do with Sabbath and more to do with Sabbath keepers. Mm. Mm. So most of the pushback that I would get from people like, yeah, I'm I'm spiritual but not religious. Like, I I'm I'm not really feeling church. Most of the time, I would say, almost always, it's not a theological um, resistance to a specific belief. 
one of the benefits of living in a postmodern society is that people are more willing to accept different beliefs. So the problem is that, yeah, I have a lot of problems with your beliefs. They're like, no, that's good for you, Ben. This is fantastic. You want to believe that? That's great for you. The issue that they have is like, I met a Christian and they swindled me some money. I met somebody who was very intolerant um, because I had a son um, who was gay and he told me that that person's going to burn in hell and and I had a conversation with somebody and, and you know, I used to go to church sometimes on Sunday. I said, well, if you go to church on Sunday, you, uh, you're going to receive the mark of the beast. So they would lead with conversations that are very abrasive. Right? They're not known by their compassion. They're not known by their their love. They're not known by their service. They're known by this is the truth, and if you're not following it, you're going to be lost. And, and, and while at the same time, a little bit of hypocrisy, because there's some issues in their life that they had to fix, fix it up. Um, so but the, the, the number one challenge and the number one hurdle is, is not Christian beliefs, but Christians. Mm. That's why I would, I would recommend that it's not about the message you speak. It's about the message that you are. Mm. So we have to lead, lead with compassion. We have to end with compassion. We have to minister to compassion. It is only in the context of a relationship that people will say, well, you, you're not like other Christians that are here on TV. You don't seem like a bigot. You see, you're, you're a person that You've been, you've been loving towards me. You know, in the moment that I needed you, you've been present in my life. That allows us the opportunity to share our beliefs. But it is not until we have that relationship. If we lead with, this is what I believe, and, and you're wrong, and I'm right, and you're lost, and I'm saved, and now, now sit down and let me tell you all the ways that you're wrong. Mm. Um, that people don't like to feel pro- like projects and they don't like to feel like um, you know it all and they know nothing so that's that 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 would be my my response to that question yeah i appreciate that and you know at our church here in daytona beach that i pastor you know we started something called compassion sabbath um and it's something that i think that um north america division of Seventh-day Adventists um, has promoted for a little while, and we kind of jumped on board with that this year. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting because it kind of changes the view on Sabbath. You know, like you were just saying, um, people don't necessarily have a problem with accepting the the, the biblical understanding of, of Sabbath. Um but it's but it's the way it's been portrayed or it's been or or the way that um maybe even sabbath keepers have kept the sabbath themselves that it it doesn't necessarily make it appealing or sound appealing to to a secular minded person because it doesn't seem to have any practical purpose in in your life but you and you know this, uh, but you when you look at that fourth commandment, um, it it does um, not only talk about rest for the individual, right? But but really, it's it's rest for for everyone, right? And so there's this kind sure. of um, it, there is this compassion element too, even the the Sabbath commandment. I know, you know, you mentioned to me that this is something that that you're passionate about. So kind of share a little bit with us about, you know, some of the insights that you've gained over the years um, in relating um, Sabbath in a, in a way that relates to what you were just talking about with compassion, you know, talk, talk about that a little bit more for us. Yeah. I think for, first of all, uh, two and two important and key elements about the Sabbath. Number one, uh, Sabbath is, 
not a legalist imposition. It is a freedom reminder. If you go to a passage, for example, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where the Sabbath commandment is listed, there, there, there are two key words that, are, that I want our listeners to pay attention to. One is what, and the other one is why. If I do, if I do the what, and if I am taught the what, without the why, it's always going to seem like it's, like it's in an imposition. And I have kids and I tell them, clean your room. First question they ask, why? Go clean, the, clean that up, why? We're, we're going to leave at five, why? Like, that, that question of why is key, it's central to our lives. So Deuteronomy 5, for example, where it says that um, you should rest uh, six days, and you, not you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen, your donkeys, all the livestock, foreigners living among you, um, all your male and female servants must rest of Jesus. You have six days a week for your ordinary work, but the seven days, the Sabbath day of rest. That's the what. So scripture is talking about one, maybe seven days on the Sabbath, on the seventh day, to rest. That's the what. Here's the why, verse 15. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Here's the why. There is no obedience without deliverance. The why, the reason why I go to church on Sabbath and I worship God is because this system of value based on your production, which is the same system that Egypt was using. The moment somebody from Israel was not good to work anymore, it was disposable. We live in that same system now. The moment you're not effective in your work, they fire you. They get rid of you. They, you're, you're replaceable. You're a cog in the machine. So the Sabbath is a weekly reminder that my worth is inherent. My worth is, is what God calls me, that I'm worth. My worth is what God ascribes to me. And I'm so important to him that he gave his only son to die for me. And he shed his blood to purchase me. So the Sabbath is a grace-oriented day. It's not an imposition. It's not whether you can wade in the water up to your chest, but if you swim, it's not good. Well, that's one of the first things that people ask. Okay, so so what can you do on the Sabbath? What can you do on the Sabbath? And if we start there, we start with the what. Mm -hmm. We don't understand the why, it's going to seem like an imposition. So that's the first thing. Grace-oriented. Okay. Number two, which is the question that you asked, comes about compassion. You see in that commandment how the Sabbath is a great equalizer. That everybody rests. On that day, during the week, some are worth more, some are worth less. Some are some produce more, some produce less. During the week, you have foreigners and native born uh, people, sons and fathers. You know all these classifications, right? But on Sabbath, everyone must rest as you do. In other words, it's a great equalizer. When you come to church on Sabbath, you sit next to somebody. You sit. You have a millionaire sitting next to somebody who has one dollar and eighteen cents in his bank account. Mm-hmm. And they worship the same God in the same location in the same church. There's a reminder that our worth is not in our acquisition level, it's not in your in a production level, it's not in the parchment paper on the wall. It's my worth is in who God created me to be. And that's why I can see and show compassion to somebody else. Because I don't see them as an illegal. I see them you know, they might be undocumented, but I don't see them as an illegal. I see them as somebody who has the image of God in them. I don't see them as a as an ex-con. I see the person, somebody who has the image of God in them. I don't see the person as a prostitute or a crack or somebody who has had 
free divorces. Because the world that we live in, we love to put labels on people. And 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 say, well, that that that's a gang member and he's a divorcee and he's an alcoholic and he divorced uh, four times and he been in prison and we we love to label people because if we label people, we don't have to get to know them. But the, 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 the Sabbath destroys those labels and it helps me show compassion to people who are different than me. And that's okay. Yeah, and that's, and that's something that we really need. I mean, I mean, if you look around our country today, uh, I don't have to tell you this, but I think our listeners would all agree, you know, they're, they're, we're more fragmented now than we have been um, in maybe our history, but we're definitely headed that way. I mean, there's just so much tribalism and so much, you know, um, segmenting, um, happening. And, and yet, um, when we do that, we, we tend to point the finger. We tend to judge. We tend to disassociate ourselves with our, our neighbor. And we, we tend to, you know, um, look at, all the things that are different instead of the things we have in common. And, um, and it creates a lot of suspicion. It creates a lot of distrust. It creates even, and the sad thing is this can happen even amongst Christians themselves when, when um, I think they lose sight of what you're talking about. But, but when we embrace the Sabbath as that great equalizer, like you were just sharing, um, it, it kind of, if I understand you correctly, it kind of um, uh, it it helps us to see humanity um, as as one instead of um, all of us fighting for you know the little little piece of uh, of heaven here on earth. It's like no, we're 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 one, and and we're going to 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 do this together. Yeah, and and, and yeah, and I think. Um... I think there, there's a different perspective. Um, as we look at the Sabbath, you have Democrats and Republicans worshiping in the same pew, mm-hmm. right? So, so at the end of the day, my political affiliation should be should not get in the way of me connecting with somebody else. In other words, I I follow the lamb before the donkey uh, or the elephant, right? <laughs> I like that. Um, uh, and, and, yeah, so I have to ask myself. Um, I'm, I'm an immigrant. I came. I am eternally grateful. We left Cuba uh, when I was four years old and moved to the United States. I am eternally grateful for this country, for what it stands for, for the love that we received when we came here. Um, but I, I see that there's a confusion sometimes um, between these these concepts. I am a Christian who's an American. I'm not an American who goes to church. Mm-hmm. Right? So my identity is as Christian first and my nation second. Right? So how, no matter how much I love my nation, my first identity and my first loyalty is to, is to Christ and Scripture. And as long as whatever nation, whether I live in Spain, it applies. It applies the same the same way. Whether I live in Spain or Puerto Rico or England or Africa, I am a Christian first, because the moment that I accepted Jesus as my Savior, my identity now is in Him. Right? Um, so it's in this climate that we have right now, where everything is politicized and everything. Um, I show compassion. Well, you're from the left, or you're from the right. And you, it, at some at some point, we're going to have to come back and remind ourselves, and that's why the Sabbath is so such a blessing. To remind ourselves, we're humans mm-hmm. before, before we're Republicans or Democrats or Independents. Or, we're humans. We are part of the human race, and and the Scripture teaches me that we have something called Imago Dei, which is the image of God, is in every person. And when we start seeing that baseline is what unites us. 
Um, and that's why you can show compassion. And that's why Sabbath, if you look at Sabbath and you ask yourself, okay, well, so what did Jesus do on the Sabbath? And I see three things that he did on the Sabbath. First of all, Mark chapter 1 right there, first of all, he went to church. He went to the synagogue. And not only did he go to church, he used his talents because he got up to read. Right? So that's a great thing. So the first C is church. Go to church. It, it, it reduces your blood pressure. It helps you with your cholesterol. It's, it's health benefits that you don't get from staying, you know, in the bedside Baptist or bedside Adventist. Go to a local congregation. Mm-hmm. Number two, what did he do the rest of the day? Number two, he went out to Peter's house and healed his mother-in-law, which I, this tells me that Peter was a great Christian because his mother-in-law lived with him. So this is <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 really impressed by by Peter. Um, so he healed. So he showed compassion, right? So the Sabbath, he's teaching. He's giving us a blueprint. How do you keep the Sabbath? First of all, the Sabbath keeps you, right? Now you not by you keeping the Sabbath, the Sabbath keeps you. The first thing you go to church, number two, you show compassion. And what else did he do after he healed Peter's uh, mother in law? They sat down, she prepared a meal for them, and they had community. You know, they connected. But the Sabbath is a great day for you to connect with the people you love, show compassion to the people who need it the most, and to use your gift in the local congregation. So that's what the Sabbath really is. That's that's the that's the base. Those are the principles. Instead of asking, what can I do? What can I do? How long can I walk? Can I ride a bike? Can I run? Can I go into a stream? Can I swim? All these things filter them, filter the what to the why, why it exists. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because what you're saying is that it's not the activity, it's why you're doing the activity. So you could potentially be doing the same activity um, with two separate mindsets. And in one mindset, you could be keeping the Sabbath and the other you wouldn't. So it's not about the activity. But if that, if this is why I hear you saying it's, it's, it's the heart, it's the why. Why am I doing this? Why, why am I going to church? Why am I going out to visit and, and uh, those who are sick or, or try to help somebody? You know, why am I visiting uh, with this person? You know, is it for fellowship with, uh, you know, to build each other up, for community, for, for, for healing? Or, or am I doing it because I'm checking a box? Yeah, yeah. Is that? I, 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 think, I think that's 100% correct because um, even good things with wrong intentions are ruined. Mm-hmm. But it's not only the act of it, but the intention behind the act. Uh, and that's something that we, not, we don't always talk about because it's um, it's hard to know the intentions of somebody. Like if, if you ask me to give you a ride and I give you a ride, it's like a compassionate act. Right. But what if I'm thinking, what if I'm thinking in my mind, I'm going to give a ride to Travis because he's a mechanic. So eventually when my car breaks down, he's going to help me. Right. So at first glance, I've done a great compassionate act towards you. But my intentions were selfish, right? They're selfish. Meanwhile, somebody else uh, goes to a single mother's home and they're, they're having asthma and he ripped up the carpet and he installs a new one. And somebody says, well, you're working on the Sabbath. But they didn't charge for the, for the, for the work. They didn't do anything uh, to, for personal gain. They was just showing compassion. I remember one time, and I, I respect different viewpoints, but this is something specific. This, this mother in the church had three children, um, breast cancer, on both breasts, about to die, came to church on Sabbath morning. There was a group of people from the church who went to her house. By the time she got back in the afternoon, um, it was, there was a lot of different little things that needed to be fixed, like pipes that were leaking, 
they replaced the carpet, they had some painting done, they fixed her yard. And when she came home that day, she encountered a different home than when she left. Now, somebody said, I well, you can do that on Sunday or Tuesday, but it was done on the Sabbath. Nobody got paid for it. Nobody gained from it. So I, I thought that those people really embraced the spirit of it because this, this single mother, uh, about a six months after that, passed away. Uh, but the children had a house that they were comfortable living in after the mom passed away. So I, I, I think at the end of the day, not just what we do, why we do it yeah much. yeah because if you don't take that in consideration then you know they're there first of all like you said you can't judge motive so you automatically you create this kind of um suspicion or, or almost like this fear of like okay well it's not only what i'm doing but if if i even look like um i might be doing something wrong you know someone's gonna <laughs> accuse me but and that that's not a, an environment where, where spirituality flourishes. That's not an environment where people are going to say, hey, I want to be a part of this, where everybody's looking over their shoulder because somebody is looking at, at what they're doing. And even if they were, like you just said, you can't know why someone is doing what they're doing. And so, you know, to have that kind of mindset of, of policing um, Sabbath observance is, is, a, is a burden. And, and I think when you look in the Bible— like like you were kind of bringing up Mark chapter 1, but it's interesting in the New Testament how many times Jesus is accused of Sabbath-breaking, right? <laughs> how many times yeah, he is uh, misunderstood or, or even his actions are used to accuse him in, in front of others by leaders because they don't understand the motive. They don't really understand the spirit of Sabbath. And, uh, and, and what I hear you saying is, you know, this— is uh, when we when we do it from the why and we and we you know not to say there aren't principles uh, of Sabbath keeping, but Correct. um but you know the the motivation um is is freedom. So yeah, share a little bit more about that that concept of freedom because I've I've studied that before, um but you know it seems counterintuitive, especially to someone who's maybe unfamiliar with the Adventist tradition and, and Sabbath keeping. And and they just think, oh, Sabbath, that just sounds like something I have to do. So uh, how is it, how is it, you know, freedom? You know, kind of, do, do you mind look talking yeah. about that a little bit more? Yeah, Rob, I, I think when you understand the why, um, I'll give you an example of my own life. For for five years, I was was living a life that was not conducive to anything worthwhile. I was making bad choices. Um, I had emptiness inside. I wasn't, I was angry all the time. Um, it was just a cycle of like, went to the next party and just wanted to run as far away from my religious upbringing as possible. Right. But yet inside, because the devil overpromises and under delivers, I did not have what I was looking for. And finally, through the prayers of my mom and the grace of God, um, I made my way back and encountered the gospel. I had been religious, but I had never understood grace. And when I became a real follower of Jesus. Sabbath became not a day of burden, not a day of when is this day over. It was a day of of a, a constant reminder that that Pharaoh that used to lord over my life, you know, my anger, my addiction, pornography, whatever it was, had no longer control over me, that I belonged to somebody else, and that God did for me the text says, with my strong hand, I delivered you. God did for me what I could not do for myself. I had been trying for years to get rid of stuff. And it could never happen. It was by the grace of God that it happened. So every Sabbath now, it's 24 hours of an intense reminder of how it used to be and now what it is. 
And I'm just so grateful about those 24 hours because it's a, it, 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 it truly is a blessing. It, it, it's a constant weekly, it, like, it, it, it reminds us that we are not human doings, we're human beings. It reminds us that our identity is wrapped in Christ and not in our performance. This is what God did. You know, he created all, everything on earth and the creation uh, week. And then he created the man at the end. Uh, man was created after God did everything and before they could do anything. So the first thing that they entered in was to Sabbath rest. So can, they could enjoy everything that God had done for them. And that's what, that's the concept of freedom and the concept of grace and the concept of the gospel that is present in the Sabbath. Yeah, you're right. And it, it, it's, it's kind of the essence of, uh, you know, um, the concept of, uh, you know, we're saved by um, grace through our faith, not of works lest any man should boast. And so, like you were just saying, the paradox is, is that true Sabbath keeping is a faith exercise. It is, it is truly believing that it's not our works that saves us. It's, it's God's work. And, and it's a, and it's a manifestation or a, a an act that shows our faith by, by stepping aside for that day and saying, I, I really, everything I do is dependent on God. And so this, this day I'm going to set aside and I'm free to just uh, you know, bask in his creation, bask in his love, bask in, in, uh, in being a citizen of, of, of humanity. And, um, and, and when we do that, you know, it, with that spirit, you know, I think it, it is the essence of righteousness by faith. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, 100%. So, <laughs> right. So, you know, Obviously, we are Seventh-day Adventists, um, and someone who's uh, say, oh, that's a long name. Um, so we have Seventh-day in our name, and it's is obviously a reference to the day that we keep. We've just been talking about Sabbath-keeping. Um, how also does, you know, you know, when you're doing evangelism, but just in your own, also your own understanding— how do they connect? How does the Sabbath connect with a belief in the soon coming of Jesus? You know, what, how do you see those two um, connected with one another? I think one builds on the other. I think that the Sabbath is a weekly reminder of what's to come. It's a weekly reminder that our worst day is never our last day. It's a weekly reminder that Jesus did promise he was going to come back. And when you look at injustice in the world, and you look at you know, 40,000 children today die because of hunger, and you look at epidemics and lack of access to food, um, in North America, food deserts, food insecurity, violence, addiction, abandonment, it would be pretty hopeless for us to live that life thinking, yep, this is all there is. Pretty much, life is terrible and then you die. It, hope brings a different dimension. Living with hope brings a fantastic way of looking at life. I, I heard but I, I was reading, I didn't hear. I was reading a story about a, a millennial, a young girl who was a chef in New York. Top of her career, young, beautiful, talented, took her own life. And in her suicide note, she put something that really um, touched my heart. She said that hope is deferred disappointment. Mm. And I thought, like living, imagine living that way every day. Were you just waiting for the other shoe to drop? Were you thinking, this is it. I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna eventually be disappointed. But instead of 
waiting for that to happen. I'm just going to go ahead and take my own life because it doesn't seem that it's going to get better. So all the trappings of the world, people say, well, if I only had that job, if I only had that body, if I only had that husband, if I only had that situation or that money or that fame, there's people with plenty of that, that routinely in their lives. Why? Because it, it seems like this is, if this is all there is, I need to escape the pain. And if I can do that sooner than later, it'd be great. What their rationale is like. But the second coming, for me, brings me hope. Because Jesus said he was going to come the first time, and he did. Is a proven fact. It's, it's right there in Scripture. Was verified his resurrection by 537 witnesses. Not of Scripture. I mean, it's verifiable. He said, I was going to come. He did. Now he says, I'm going to come again. So whether he comes in 50 years or five minutes, I look in expectation about that day. I'm not worried about final events. and not. I'm not driven by fear of the end times or antichrist or mark of the beast I'm just looking for Jesus and expecting that what he said was going to come true is going to actually come true thanks for listening to this episode of Adventology our goal in this podcast is for you to be ready for Jesus And the best way to be ready for Jesus is to spend time getting to know him, knowing Jesus is everything. And that is why we spent the time today talking about some of the deeper meanings of Sabbath with Roger Hernandez. But don't just take our word for it. Go out and study it for yourself. And for a hands-on experience, I encourage you to check out our website, adventology.com, where you can find the show notes and transcripts from all of our previous episodes And don't forget to check out Roger's new book, The Pain of Planting a Church. Or if you would like to dig deeper into the Sabbath, you can download my ebook, Seventh Day Rest, for free from our website just by subscribing to our monthly newsletter. All right, well, I enjoyed our time together again today. I look forward to seeing you back here again on our next episode of Adventology. Until then, Maranatha.